want to start out with a question. What is love? What is love? We all look for it. We all desire it. We want to be surrounded by those we love on the holidays, and we, we want to be with people we love. We even watch movies about it all the time. We read books about romantic love. I've been asked by many young men, how do you know if you love somebody? Well, a quick online search suggests that there have been over one million songs written about love. And for a lot of us, those songs are like ringing in our minds right now, our favorite love song. The world thinks it understands love, and we look around and at times we see glimpses of love. Maybe it's in a faithful marriage or maybe you're just a sucker for like your favorite seasonal Hallmark movie or Lifetime movie and you see some little picture of love there. Or maybe it's when we see someone sacrificing their time or resources to serve in their community. These are all loving examples, yet they are only mere shadows of who God is and his love that he has for you. So the world says that oftentimes love is approval or that love has no boundaries. But if we're honest, we often bring some of these cultural views on love into our own thinking when we come to Scripture. But what does the Bible say that love is? What does the Bible have to say about love? Well, that brings us to 1 John. And the context for our passage today is that John's letter can almost leave us a little head spinning at times. John reads like going up a spiral staircase. And in its most simple structure, John gives us three different tests And those tests are, first, the right doctrine concerning Christ, that this test of doctrine cannot stand on its own. Children of God will also need to pass this test of obedience because authentic Christianity believes truth, and it is both visibly and tangibly seen and practiced in the life of the believer. But the third test that we see throughout 1 John is this test of love. And the reader should note that these tests of truth and obedience and love are woven together, and it's sometimes you're just left, your head is just spinning of which one is he talking about. But why is John telling the church to love one another? Well, in our, past, in our previous passage, 4 verse 1 through 7, we had a few months ago, the Apostle John warns the church to be on the lookout for false teachers, specifically false teachers within the church. And he tells them to test what they hear because not everything that they are hearing is truth. So that kind of brings us to the question of John is following love now from speaking about truth. What is the relationship between the two? Well, The defense against error can cause us to forget the need to love one another sometimes. 
times. John is reminding us that the spirit of truth that we see in 4.6 is always connected to love. And we see this throughout 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we'll see it with greater clarity today how truth and love not are on, that are not only parallel, but they are inseparably connected. They're like going hand in hand. For John, you cannot love without truth. And truth is directly connected to our love for one another. Like I said, they go hand in hand. They go together and cannot be separated with doing, without doing damage to the other. And so that's where we pick up our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We read, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified to the Father, has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in his love remains in God. And God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is. To keep his commands. 
And his commands are not burdensome because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Well, John is often referred to as the apostle of love. And I think this passage gives us just a glimpse of why so often we hear that. We've been reminded over and over and over in this book to the point that John sounds like a broken record. Love is a subject that we, he just can't move on from. He can't get away from it. He keeps circling around to it. And if you were counting as I read through our passage today, John says love an amazing 32 times in 18 verses. That's a lot. So I think the main idea of this passage should be centered around love, right? I think actually the main idea of our passage is this. God's love is revealed in Christ and displayed through his children, right? Throughout those 32 times that John mentions love, I think that he had something like this in mind, that God's love is revealed in Christ and displayed through his children. And I think throughout our text, as we unpack it today, I think we'll really see four different things come out. I think we'll see, first of all, the source of love. I think we'll also see the motivation for love. I think we'll see the practice of love. And then finally, we're going to look at the command of love. All through that main idea that God's love is revealed in Christ and displayed through his children, we will see the source, the motivation, the practice, and the command to love. So John addresses this topic for a third time in his letter to the church. But this time, there's something more foundational than he's talking about than he has in the other times that he's referred to love in his letter. John begins this section by practicing what he has preached throughout the entire letter. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. Or in the ESV, it says, beloved, let us love. And he begins to lay this foundation of what love is built upon. He says it twice in verse 7 and in 8, and then again in verse 16. He starts out by saying, first, love is from God, and then goes on to say in 8 and 16 that actually God is love. So that brings us to our first point, that the source of love is God. John grounds us right at the source that God is love. And this is an extraordinary statement to say that God is love. His argument is pretty plain and simple. God himself is the source of love. And because God is the source of love and we are his children, we ought to love one another. Now, John probably could have just stopped right there and just said, that's motivation enough. 
John is saying that all true love flows from God. And so the question, I think, that comes up is, what does John mean when he says God is love? What is he referring to? What is he talking about? Well, I, I don't think that John um, means that, and we can't reduce it to God is the one, God's love is just one of his characteristics. And I don't think that John means when he said God is love, that love is God. Or that somehow God finds his fulfillment in being loved. But rather, God consistently gives of himself to others and for the good of others. This has always been the case for God. There's always has been and there always will be this eternal love in the three persons of the Trinity. As God, long before God created the world, there's always been this love. We heard evidence of that in Christ's uh, high priestly prayer in John 17 that Katrina read to us earlier as he speaks. And he says, my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world began. Showing us that there was a love and a giving of honor from the Father from the, son, from the Father to the Son from all eternity and even continues to this day, right? John 3.35 says that the Father loves the Son and has given all things to his hand. So God's love is not just a mere emotion or a feeling. It is unconditional in the purest sense. God, God's love for his children is motivated is motivated by who he is, not by who we are. God does not need us, but he chose to love us. And as his children, we cannot earn his love. We are sinners and nothing in us could cause us to love. Nothing in him could cause, nothing in us could cause God to love us any more or less. He loves us perfectly. It is in his very nature to love. So everything that God does is shaped by love and is for the good of his children. For example, when we think about like some of the things that God does, they are all loving. So when God judges, what does he do? He judges perfectly in love. When he disciplines, he disciplines in love. When we experience suffering, it's motivated by God's love for us and for our good. God is the inexhaustible, infinite fountain of love. and It is perfect. And since God is the source of love and all true love flows from him, it stands to reason that everyone who loves, that is, that Everyone who loves God and loves his neighbor has been born of God and knows God. John goes into detail about that. He says in verse 7 that those who know, let's see, it says in verse 7, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you look around the room, you'll see a lot of kids in here. After the service, you'll see kids running around. And inevitably, you can tell by what kids are running around who's, what parents they belong with, right? 
they share resemblance often by the way that their parents look or even just their characteristics or their mannerisms, the way they walk. You can just point them out. So just as children have the nature of their parents, so do God's children have the nature of their heavenly father. So when we are born of God, his love changes us. His children, by being born again, we have the ability to love. We become loving people. He says everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This enables us to love one another because God's nature is love. So everyone who is born of God shares in this nature. Then in verse 8, John helps to clarify just in case he hasn't been clear enough, by telling us the same thing in the negative. That the one who does not love God, he actually does not know God. Because God is love. John leaves no room for confusion. A loveless Christian is like saying that there's dry water. Or that water is dry. Or water is dry. The reality is water is wet. It's, it's its essence. It's what it is. There's no such thing as a loveless Christian. And while God's, God is the source of love, the cross is the ultimate proof that God is love. And we see this in our next point in the model of love. We see in verse 9 that God's love was revealed among us in this way. He said, God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. So we know that John was an eyewitness to Christ. We see this in chapter 1. He personally saw God's love revealed through his son and through his life, death, and resurrection. And now he goes on to say in verse 10 that love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, in these verses, we see that love is manifested really in two ways. We see that God, first, that God shows his love by sending his only son to rescue sinners. And second, that Christ shows his love by giving his life to rescue sinners. This is a self-giving Love that, the, that we see even in the Trinity. So when John uses the word atonement, what does that mean when he uses it in verse 10? Well, I think a, a definition can be helpful. You can go to a systematic theology, a great one I use on occasion is Wayne Grudem's, and he defines it this way, that the work of Christ, that atonement is the work of Christ that he did in his life, death, and death to earn our salvation. So the work of Christ is what he did in his life, death, and resurrection to earn our salvation. Some Bibles will translate this verse 10 as atonement. Some may say propitiation. Um, yeah, those mean the same thing. And when Jesus atones, that means he turns away the wrath of God to cover our sins. And Christ's atonement for our sins restores us into right standing before God. 
right? This is the good news of the gospel. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reality is that we are all sinners who have fallen short of God's glory. And our sin separates us from God. But because of his, because of his justice, God must punish sin. So in love, God sent his perfect son to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we could not die, to suffer the punishment for our sins. So Jesus rose from death, defeated sin, and so that those who repent and believe and put their faith in Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins and united with uh, united with Christ. John 3.16, we often see so often, is that this says, For God so loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that who everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John is saying here that God's love is manifested by giving the giving of his own blood his own son, that we might fellowship with him forever. So the model of how we love one another is the father giving of the son and the son giving of himself. So God's love, God loves us not because we are lovable, but because he is a loving God. Love is not only God's eternal nature, but it's a historical fact in Christ. God expressed his love by sending Jesus to die in our place. And so while the origin of love may be the beginning of God, the manifestation of love is in the coming of Christ. Paul Tripp gives a, a good definition when we think of uh, a good definition of love. And he says that love is a willing sacrifice for the good of another. And I think we see this perfectly exemplified in Christ. Jesus says in John 10, 18, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to, to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. So God atones for our sins through Christ laying down of his life. Then he gives us his spirit so that we can love one another the same way that he has loved us. So the father gives his son and he gives us his spirit, which we see in verse 13. And then the spirit of God, the spirit in God's children leads us to love the way that John describes. He says to remain in God's love it actually enables us to love. This is fostered by his own spirit. Verse 13 says, This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us, that he has given us his spirit. So love is one of those communicable attributes of God that he shares with us. Because God is loving in his very nature, he has set his love on us for all eternity. 
And we desire to imitate that love by showing that same love that we've received to him and to others in return. So God has given us everything we need, every tool that we need to love. First, he has provided a sacrifice of his son. Then he has enabled us to love through his spirit and gives us a place to practice that love in the local church and the world. And so this leads us to our next point, the practice of love. You know, John shows us this example of love in Christ before we, he ever tells us to live it out, right? He, he walks us through that God is the source of love and this example of love in Christ and what motivates us to love. And because God manifested his love in the giving of his own son, we are to love one another. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. He uses the same phrase in verse 21 where he says, The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. See, Jesus' atoning death is the standard for our love for one another. We are to love sacrificially because this is how Jesus loved us. And if you pick up on that word must, as John is communicating, he says that we must also love one another. We must also love his brother and sister. John says this because of what we have experienced in Christ. We must love one another. This is not an optional love, but we are bound to it. It is a response. We can't help but love because he has first loved us. And we can be tempted to think that loving others is optional. However, John is clear in this that love is not optional, but is an expression of our divine obligation to love one another. In fact, the greatest commandment is that what? Matthew 22, 37 through 39, the greatest commandment is that we are to love God with all of our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So if it stands to reason, if this is the greatest commandment, then the greatest sin might be not to love God and to not love our neighbor. Godly living requires godly loving. So how, so how do we love as God loves? Well, saw that the Spirit enables us to practice this love. It is the love that is actually made visible in his people. See, our love for others is the evidence that God dwells in us. He goes into detail, 12 through 14, as he says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us, that he has given us his Spirit and we have seen and testified to the Father who has sent his Son as the world's Savior. So loving others is what we do as a result of experiencing God's love that he has lavished on us. So we can't abide in him if we are not living life intentionally and loving those who are in the church. 
Have you ever heard someone say the phrase, I love God, but I don't love the church? I love God, but I don't love the church. Well, I went to uh, the Barna Group, which does studies, and they have a, they have a, actually have done a study in 2017 that says, meet the people who love God, but not the church. And their research revealed in this group that there's actually 10% of our population that would say that they have a meaningful relationship with Christ, but they actually do not love his church. And that's mind-boggling. That's mind-boggling, and we should scratch our heads when we hear that. How could you not love the church? See, those who identify as Christians who say their faith is essential to their life, but they are essentially de-churched. That is, they attend church maybe once or twice in the past year, but haven't done so any more than that because they don't love the church. They love God, but they don't love the church. This is a complete oxymoron and should cause us to to scratch our heads because it is impossible to love God and not love his church. The church is the visible expression of God's love. You see, Christ died to make the church his bride. He loves her dearly. And in John 13, 35, he says, By this, everyone will actually know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So loving Christ and his church are connected. It is inconsistent to say that we could love one and not the other. So how do you know who has given up on the church, maybe? Maybe you know somebody that has said the same phrase. Well, I want to encourage you to meet with that person and to pray that God would use you in their life to help shift their gaze from maybe the past hurts that they've experienced in church and to help give them a view of what the church looks like. And to give them this beautiful picture of God's love for his people. I love how one commentator says says it as he's talking about those who we struggle with and have been hurt. He says, to live above with the saints I love, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints I know, well, that's a different story. Right? Right? It's hard to live with people. But the answer is not to run away from the church, right? The church is one of the most sanctifying things that the Lord uses in our life and is where we practice loving one another. So when we are committed to Christ and his church, what does it look like for us to live love out intentionally well earlier we discussed that loving that we defined it that loving is a love is a willing sacrifice for the good of another so a good question to ask ourselves is does does a willing sacrificial love characterize the way that i live my week live my life in a few practical ways i think we can live this out one 
even though it may seem daunting in our weeks to add something else, love, you got to remember, is willing self-sacrificing. So as we live this out, I want to be encourage you to talk to people within the body, right? Get to know them and be a good listener. When you're talking to them, follow the affections. Facts are important. You don't have to ask people about maybe just their test that they're having here or their doctor's appointment, but maybe be willing to ask them more about their fears about those appointments, their worries or their hopes and their disappointments. Maybe you can keep in mind that suffering is a battleground. We don't just experience it in life. When, when suffering comes and it comes for all of us, we can be tempted to interpret our pain a wrong way. So being willing to talk about that pain that we've experienced with others so we can have godly men and women pour into us and then maybe say the hard things that we maybe aren't willing to tell ourselves. Another good way is to pray and follow up with folks. If it is encouraging when others pray for me, that they text me throughout the week and say, hey man, praying for you. Maybe it's through a hard week or some suffering that I've experienced. I think the member's guide is a great way to, to be reminded to pray for others throughout the week, right? And then follow up with them of, on how you're praying for them. There's a great book that's called Side by Side, um, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love by Ed Welch. A great book and great resource. As, as we just learn and continue to learn, what does it look like to live a life that is self-sacrificing? Willingly living a life that's self-sacrificing. But as we love one another, God's love is made complete when we have confidence and I think John goes into more detail. It's even when we have confidence instead of fear. In this, he says in verse 17, our love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because he, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. You see, loving Others, out of a gratitude for how we have been loved in Christ, has consequences, not only for the present, but for the future. The argument that John is building up to this point is that, first of all, we have to love others. We do that by through the Spirit, and we do that by abiding in God's love, and, and even brings God's love into full an intended goal in our lives. And I think there are two wonderful purposes for that goal. That the confidence when I stand before God on the day of judgment and the complete absence of fear at that time. You see, we don't have to live in fear. Abiding in God's love gives us the confidence for that day when we stand before God. Judgment day is something that we should all consider seriously. It is it is coming reality for us all. But John says that those who are children of God, not only 
can we not only be ready, but we can be confident. What a statement that we can be confident. But that confident is not in our own ability or self. It's actually in Christ. It is founded in Christ. We will be clothed in righteousness of Christ because as we stand before God on judgment day, God will see his son. Man, what a beautiful picture that the love of God, that the love of God will have, will have done its perfect work and is it applied to us on that day. Because of our fear, because of this, our fear and our dread of punishment is wiped out. And holy judge, our Father, looks at Christ and not our own sin. But because we do not have to live in fear, we can actually focus on living out his commands. That brings us to our fourth point, the command to love. You see, John repeats all that he has been saying about love as a condition for living as God's children by reaffirming the love command itself. This has been implied throughout the entire passage, but now it is defined. John has already articulated that command in chapter 2, verse 7 through 10, and 3, verse 10 through 23, but this time he actually gains a little bit of momentum. John has established that those who are born of God will love God and God's... John establishes that those who are born of God will love as God has loved them. This perfect love. These two are not separate commands. They are one, to love God and to obey him. By obeying God's commands, it is not a burden because our faith in God Jesus empowers us. God's commands are for our good, and they will enable us to obey him. So as believers, we are are born of God. And in this new birth, we are not given a new name, but a new nature. And he gives us his very nature. God did not send his son to die on a bloody cross that, that we would just be nice people. He came to radically transform us to make us new people. He accomplished this glorious work through his son who has loved us and will empower us to obey him. So will you love God? Will you love others with the same love that God has lavished on you? Will you guys pray with me? God, we give you praise because you have shown us perfect love. God, you have shown us perfect love through Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, that you willingly laid down your life for us. And Lord, we confess that far too often we take this example that you have given us in Christ, of self-sacrificing love and and apply it to our own lives, but fall short of living it out. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live out this command to love.
Lord, so that not only would you use that within the church, but Lord, we pray that you would use that within this world to be a witness to your world for your glory. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.